Lord God, we pray that you would speak the message that you have for us to hear and that you give us ears to hear you and hearts to obey you. We ask above all things that the Lord Jesus be glorified. Amen. So if you're a doctor, um, bedside manner is important. It's not just a matter of knowing what a patient needs to be told. Sometimes you need to know how to tell a patient so that they can both understand what they need to hear and receive it. And while often you might catch more bees with honey, sometimes the tone needs to change if the situation is more urgent, more critical. It's one thing to tell a patient that they might need to tweak their diet or add some exercise to maybe see some of the numbers, get to a better place in their tests. It's another if they need to take drastic action immediately and all the more so if their life depends on it. The prophet Amos is giving a message that is among the most severe in the Bible. But his words weigh heavy because the situation is critical and urgent. I've heard it said, and I might be shooting myself in the foot saying this, but I've heard it said that if you like the prophet Amos, you're not listening to him. I might add a little more nuance to that, but I think there's some truth. I know why they say it. He's certainly not what I would call a fun part of the Bible. Stylistically, he is one of the most violent and harsh prophets. But when we see the reasons for that, it makes sense. But it necessarily makes the reader ask themselves some very tough questions. Amos likely prophesied around 760 BC, maybe a little after. And it's at a time when the people of Israel are split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And while Amos is from Judah, he is sent by God to preach to Israel. And he is prophesying the doom that is going to befall them. And later does when Assyria conquers Israel. And up to this point in history, in its history, Israel has had a string of unrighteous kings They've fallen away from God despite previous discipline that has been sent by God. And it's, in its covenant with God, Israel swore to uphold God's law and in doing so would reflect his justice, his righteousness, and his mercy. And from the beginning, God intended to make them a blessing to the nations. And as God describes it, a holy nation and a kingdom of priests as he says in Exodus 19. And God in return would prosper them and protect them from their enemies. And at this point, Amos is declaring their failure to do that and the severe consequences that come with it. Amos preaches to a time when Israel was able to acquire land and expand both its borders and its economy. And in doing so, they fed a growing wealthy class. 
You saw the, the, the references to mansions and vineyards. There's, other, there's references throughout the book to their wealth. Summer homes, winter homes, fine food, all sorts of things. Unfortunately, Israel prospered at the expense of the poor. And so the rich took the land of those who had fallen into debt. People were sold into slavery, even for small debts. There is reference even to sexual exploitation. It's thought, perhaps, of domestic workers. People were cheated in business practices and in commerce, and there is denial of justice in the courts, as the poor are denied justice while the wealthy ensure their outcomes with bribes. That is both the condensed version and the clean version of Amos' prophecy. His language is a lot more graphic. We'll look at how Amos informs us about God's character and what that means for what God expects from our faith. And the biggest drive of Amos' prophecy is that God desires justice. There are references all over the book to justice, and it's important to God. In verse 7 of our passage, we see him say, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. And in verse 15, it says, hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. There are at least three explicit mentions of justice in our passage and a lot more illustrations of its failure. And at the beginning of Amos's book, he goes through the injustices of, his, of the surrounding nations. And the word for justice, it certainly comes from the legal context. It is, the, it is right verdicts in the court, but biblically speaking, it's more than that. Throughout scripture, it's tied to qualities like righteousness and mercy. And so it's not just correct verdicts in the court. It is a re restoration of things not right. It's making things right. And because of that, it is a source of hope. It is a quality of God that is a comfort to people and prophets alike in Scripture. And so it's not just fulfilling legal technicalities. It is ensuring that people are treated well according to the heart of God. Amos tells us that God cares when people are hurt. He cares when the courts are crooked. He cares when people are exploited, when they are abused, when they are cheated. And in Israel's failure to uphold justice, it has failed to reflect the heart of God as it was intended to. And a big part of how Israel failed is through economic injustice. The poor are on the losing end of all of the crimes that I just mentioned. Now, Amos is not condemning wealth in and of itself. Scripture does not condemn wealth in and of itself. In fact, it's thought that Amos himself was wealthy. At the beginning of the book, most translations say he was a shepherd. The word for that is actually more used for sheep breeders. 
Later, he makes a reference to raising sycamore fig trees, which did not grow where he is from, and so it's likely he had land somewhere else. And so he shows us that one can be wealthy and still be upset about the plight of the poor, and very much should be. And so while the Bible does not condemn wealth, it very much gives us considerations for how we are to view wealth and what we are to do with wealth. And it very much calls us to a lifestyle of generosity for everyone, but especially if we are wealthy. The diffic- there's a difficulty in talking about economic injustice because when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, it necessarily intersects civil policy, which we will not agree on. But what we can agree on is that throughout Scripture, regardless of what we think the solu- how, how the solution should play out in civil law, we can agree on that God wants the poor cared for in our lives and in our society. And when they are not, it is an indictment on our faith. So Amos very much drives the nail that God desires justice. And another thing that he teaches us is that God desires repentance. When there is injustice, when the church fails to work toward God's purposes of justice in the world, it fails also to reflect the heart of God. And the language of Amos It teaches us that when that is the case, there's really no reason for us to expect God's blessing. Instead, Amos preaches judgment to Israel. And God's concerns for repentance, they have to be understood in the context of judgment. In the first three verses of of chapter 5, there is a declaration of judgment. It says, hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel. And that term virgin is just referring to Israel in its prime is, is, is how it's poetically used. It says, fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. It goes on in verse 3 to describe the devastation of its armies. And then in 16 and 17 it says, Therefore, this is what the Lord, the, God, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. The harshest words are perhaps just after the passage that we read. When you get to verse 18, it talks about the day of the Lord, which for Israel was thought to be a a day of judgment on God's enemies and blessing for God's people. And Israel very much expected that blessing. And yet Amos says in verse 18, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. He's essentially telling them it's, it's difficult to, to, 
digest these images of God as either a lion or a bear. But his message is essentially they're not going to receive the blessing from the day of the Lord, but judgment. The only answer is to seek God in repentance. It says in verse 4, this is what the Lord says to Israel, seek me and live. And what seeking God means in Amos is very much informed by what it is not. When he tells Israel not to seek Bethel or Gilgal or Beersheba, he's referring to their sites of worship, which are also being exiled. In verse 6, it repeats, seek the Lord and live, and suggesting that seeking God is more than religious ritual. It's more explicit if you continue reading beyond our passage into verse 21. He says, it says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And later, it, it even references idol worship alongside their worship to God. Our expressions of faith don't mean a whole lot if we are not dedicated to God and God's purposes. The way Amos paints the picture, if that's not the case, if we are not devoted to God, then our worship is noise. Going to church, spiritual disciplines, prayer, other activities of faith, they're all good things, but they are empty if they don't accompany a repentant heart. And Amos describes what the repentance God desires looks, looks like when he says in verses 14 and 15, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord Almighty will, receive, will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Amos shows us that religious customs in and of themselves are not faith. They are meant to accompany the life of faith that seeks to reflect God's heart for justice. And while he pronounces doom on the nation, there is hope for a remnant, perhaps if they would seek the Lord. This is not confined to the Old Testament prophets at all. Jesus teaches the same principle in Matthew 25 when he tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. He tells those who did not care for the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned, essentially the vulnerable of society. He tells them, depart from me. Even though they call him Lord. Teaching us that the lordship of Christ means participating in his heart for the vulnerable of society. And Amos, if you read through the book, he receives visions telling him that this judgment is coming. And as you might imagine, 
It's not a popular message. It upsets some people. His words eventually get to the king who has a problem with it, particularly when Amos says that the king will be killed and that Israel will go into exile. So the king tells him, go back to Judah. Prophesy there. No one wants to listen to you here. And Amos simply replies, he wasn't even a prophet when God called him. But he was called to preach to Israel. And he goes on to prophesy the desolation and death of the king and his family. God's message is not always popular, which is why so often in scripture the prophets are reluctant. Because there are people who have an interest in maintaining the status quo, even when it is built on injustice. At some point, our allegiance to God may conflict with the interests and the values of our society, maybe even our government. And the Bible teaches us that when those things are in conflict, we are to obey God and seek his kingdom. That is our continual priority. So what's Amos got to do with us? First of all, as harsh as Amos is, it is important to recognize that if you are oppressed, if you have suffered from injustice, Amos is hope. Amos teaches us that God cares about what's happened to you. That God is not indifferent to those things. And while it's a disturbing picture sometimes to some of us to see God as a bearer, if you are being oppressed, it is hope to hear that God is a bearer coming for your oppressors. That is how God's love is expressed. But when... We are comfortable. Amos can be uncomfortable, particularly in a wealthy town like ours, in a wealthy nation like ours. As one interpreter put it, the situation in Amos is not that different from the wealthy nations of the world. I grew up in Chicago, and I love going downtown. And you can see this downtown, in the shadow of the high-rises, on Michigan Avenue, in the cent- the, an iconic place of commerce where tourists are invited to shop and eat, and where you have to be wealthy to live. And as you walk those streets, you won't walk far before you encounter someone who's asking for just a couple bucks so that they can get another meal sometimes even families. If we are going to take the prophets seriously, we have to consider ourselves and our society. I love my country. It's home. But loving it means trying to make it a better place. That's what kingdom work is. It's continually trying to alleviate pain and make our world a better place. 
And doing that for our country means recognizing the realities within it, and even in its history. And the reality is that there is economic injustice in our nation. And unfortunately, economic injustice in our country, it, it's intertwined with racial injustice because of our history. And there's a lot of injustice in our nation, but this hits particularly close to home with Amos. It is no secret that the wealth of this nation was built on, in, on injustice, particularly a slave-based economy that went on legally for over 300 years if you take into account the, the history of the colonies. The resources and land of this nation it was taken from tribes and nations who had already been here for thousands of years and who our government committed genocide against and sanctioned genocide against just to get them out of the way. These crimes were committed on the basis of ideology that some humans are not worth as much as others, even that some humans are not human. Our government at one point in its laws, officially declared our African-American neighbors three-fifths of a person for representation purposes. And things have changed, but these ideologies persist. In a lot of ways, and they continue to fuel injustice in our nation. Our country has more prisoners per capita than any other nation in the world. And many are held, awaiting their trials, sometimes even for years, for nonviolent crimes, simply because they can't afford bail. And so they are denied justice. And while we are one of the wealthiest nations in the world, especially for our size, one in eight people in our country are food insecure. One in six children. In our zip code, it's estimated that it's one in 10 households. And scenarios are complex enough that some might benefit from the system in some ways and suffer injustice in others. And to be sure, these injustices, they affect all kinds of people but they disproportionately affect communities of color because of our history. And Amos teaches us that God cares about it all. And that's just what's happening here. That's part of what's happening in our world. And that list is not exhaustive. There might be causes and things close to your heart that I did not mention. The principle applies to those as well. I don't know that it's possible to be exhaustive, particularly in this context. So what do we do? It's tempting for me to say, I'll speak for myself, it is tempting for me to say that I had nothing to do with any of that. I didn't do it. I didn't have a hand in it. But all the same, I continue to benefit from a system created by the injustices that I just mentioned and that continue to perpetuate others 
And even if you disagree with that lens, the prophets, the example that the prophets give us is they weep for the sins of their people. They weep for the sins of their ancestors. And they even repent on behalf of them. I won't go through the passage, but there's a beautiful example of this in Daniel chapter 9, where righteous Daniel, who is in exile, he cries out to God on behalf of his people, on behalf of the sins of his ancestors, in fasting and prayer, because he knows that God wants to restore them from exile. We're not always going to like what our doctors have to say. And we have a divine physician who speaks to us in many ways, including the Bible and the prophets in it. And we have to listen to our doctor. We have to repent and seek justice. Now, God is not interested in just laying guilt trips for the sake of it. The thing is, when we repent... There is mercy, and God desires mercy. God desires to be merciful. As heavy-handed as Amos is, there is hope. As we repent, we find the mercy of God. The book ends with this hope. When you get to chapter 9, in verse 11 it says, In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. Skipping down to verse 14, the end of verse 14, and I will bring my people back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Our God is just and he is merciful. And he is in the business of restoration And maybe you look at the problems of our nation or you look at the problems of our world and you are at a loss of where to start. I always think, I've said this before, and that's because I believe it. I think whenever we're at a loss of what to do, it's always a good idea to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants us to do. And I am fortunate to be in a denomination that has a whole department dedicated to these purposes. Did you know that? We have a department that is, that is called Love Mercy, Do Justice, echoing the language of the prophet Micah. And if you're at a loss, I invite you to poke around on their website. They have very good resources, they have um, a number of causes that they, that they can facilitate reaching out to. It's on, it, just do a search on covchurch.org. That's not a bad place to start if you are at a loss. 
prophet Amos says, seek the Lord and live. Jesus shows up in Mark chapter 1 and preaches, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus brings his kingdom. It's the place where God has his way. And God having God's way is very good news for our world. It's good news for us. When we follow Jesus as Lord, we receive his mercy and grace. Not just for ourselves. But when we do that, he makes us part of the work where God has his way. Where justice rolls like a river. It is hope and good news for us and those suffering injustice today. And it is hope for the future as we look to living with him in his kingdom forever. And so let us seek the Lord and truly live. Let's continue worshiping our just and merciful God.